Hello, this is Michael Ball, Lead Portfolio Manager at Weatherstone Capital Management. As we enter the early portion of October and the start of the fourth quarter, we've seen an unusually low volatility environment here over the past few months, and one of the longest stretches that we've gone in the S&P 500 without a 5% correction. This is now the longest stretch that we've seen in 21 years. And in some cases, it would make you think that uh, we should be on the cusp of a new decline. However, some of the things that we've seen over the past few months lead us to believe that not only does this look like it can continue to go on for a few more months, but we might actually be able to have some above average strength. One of the things that's been very interesting is that we made it through both August and September of this year without uh, a losing month. Not a real common occurrence if we look back to 1950. That's only happened 15 different cases, so about once every five years. And as a matter of fact, four of the past Septembers here in a row have been negative for the S&P 500. When we do see stocks get through this uh, August-September window and be positive both months, it tends to bode well for the fourth quarter, with uh, over 75% of the time having a positive fourth quarter and a, an above average rate of return of uh, a little over five and a quarter percent. So it looks like there's enough tailwind in the markets to potentially keep that moving a while longer. So that's one of the positive developments. Another thing that's pretty interesting and positive as we look at the markets is the strength that we are seeing inside of the, uh, the foreign economies. Looking at some of the, uh, the numbers out there, we're seeing some of the best strength in global economic growth in quite some time. Looking at the recently released uh, purchasing managers indexes, we're showing the best strength that we've seen with essentially 97% of countries being in expansion mode. That's the strongest that reading that we've had since June of 2007. Also, uh, when we look at the number of countries who are seeing expansion strength that's stronger than what it was a year ago, that stays above 90%, which is the strongest that we've seen since 2010. This is quite broad-based, um, pretty much everywhere around the world, both in the developed and the emerging markets. Although emerging markets are not showing quite as much strength as developed markets, they've stayed in expansion territory for 15 straight months now, which is an encouraging sign. And as we look at the valuation differences that we see between the U.S. stock market and foreign markets, that's another compelling reason to uh, look abroad in terms of owning some of those areas. If you look back at the performance of most international investments, they've been pretty disappointing relative to the U.S. When we look at the major exchange-traded mutual funds, Virtually every one that you look at, whether it's a, a regional one for Europe, Asia, Latin America, or even uh, like a developed uh, markets ETF, are still below their highs that they set before the financial crisis got underway heavily in 2007 and 2008. But with those declines and subsequent challenged returns because of slower growth outside the U.S., you have much better valuations. As we discussed in our most recent commentary, when we look at things on a valuation standpoint and based upon some nice research that was done by Star Capital out of Germany, um, expected returns when we look at them on a valuation basis using CAPE indicates that there should be an expected rate of return that's a little bit over 3% uh, per year higher 
when you're looking developed and international compared to the U.S. Based upon the more positive readings that we are seeing out of the global economic data, when we made portfolio adjustments uh, earlier this week, we increased our weightings in international investments once again. We've seen some of our more flexible portfolios, such as focused growth, go from essentially a 0% weighting in international investments about a year ago to now they're up to 45% of the portfolio. Other portfolios, like diversified growth, a 35% weighting balance is at 19%. So it's become a pretty important part of our portfolios with that allocation being split many times between both developed and emerging and where we have additional flexibility. We've added uh, some weightings into Latin America as well. Part of the reason for the weightings into Latin America is because when we look at that seasonality factor that was positive for the U.S., it's particularly positive for Latin America. Going back to 1994, when we've seen it come through the August-September period and be positive, as well as being positive in the first nine months of the year, the subsequent fourth quarter average return has been nine and three quarters percent, with seven of the prior eight cases having a positive return. So we had already had some weight in there inside of our focus growth strategy. We added that now over into diversified and balanced and upped the weighting to Latin America in focused growth. The other important trend that we're keeping an eye on is the increasing headwinds that we're seeing on high quality bonds. If we look at the performance of 7 to 10 year treasury bonds based upon some of the most commonly traded exchange traded funds, um, versus their highs back in July of 2016 on a total return basis, they're down about 4.5%. The Lehman aggregate or Barclays aggregate now down slightly um, about half of a percent. The higher the quality, typically the, the greater struggles that you've had in this environment. With the Federal Reserve beginning to sell off some of their bond portfolio beginning this month, uh, we expect that we're going to have further headwinds. As a result, we have shifted part of our portfolio in our income programs away from high-yield bonds, and typically we were shorter-term high-yield bonds here, into convertible bonds for the time being. The range of this adjustment has typically been about 17 to 25% of the total portfolio in strategies such as income plus, asset enhancement, and conservative growth. The yield on convertible bonds is almost exactly 4%, which compares pretty favorably compared to most other types of bonds out there. In addition to the Federal Reserve's program of selling bonds, we're also seeing an uptick in inflation pressures. If we go back to the uh, Purchasing Managers Index and look at the index price component, it jumped to its highest level since May of 2011. So that may cause some additional concern that inflation may pick up somewhat down the road. It's not likely we're going to start to have inflationary problems like we've thought of in the past, but uh, an uptick where we've had very little inflation concerns in a number of years could be an impetus for people to start to lighten up on bond holdings. It's also worth noting that when the Federal Reserve wrapped up their prior quantitative easing programs, the three prior, that it did spill over and impact the stock market. And each time the stock market dropped by over 5%, typically around 7% each time. As they announced the unwinding of the bond buying program, 
the market took a little bit of a dip, but only slightly over 2%. It is possible that that could pick up and to start to become a bigger decline if these inflationary fears and other factors start to creep into the market. In summary, although there are a number of concerns that we have out there longer term for the markets, um, in the shorter run, we've managed to build up a pretty good tailwind and that's going to take a little bit of time to burn out. And so unless there's a big external shock that's likely to come up, the rally that we've seen so far this year is likely to extend into the fourth quarter. With that, thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have further questions, please contact us and we would be happy to visit with you. Have a good day.